Greetings Grapple fans and welcome to the latest edition of Match of the Week, a regular series within the greatest expanded universe of Let Me Tell You Something, where me, your co-host Lorcan Mullen and your other co-host Simon Cross discuss a match that we take it in turns picking as the wide world of wrestling both in the more recent and the far distance and the somewhere in the middle past of professional wrestling. This week I suppose we're more towards the middle part of that timeline and we're talking about a particular subgenre of professional wrestling that I'm keen for us to do a lot more about and Simon is keen to never have to witness again. <sighs> Simon, what match did I pick for you to enjoy today? Okay, it's Akira Maeda, sorry, versus Volcan. It's an in-ring debut here. This is probably a rarity, us talking about a match that is literally the first worked pro wrestling match in someone's career. And for Volcan, it was a very short-lived career as part of the worked aspect of pro wrestling. This is the first match he ever had on the 7th of December 1991 for Rings, a recently started promotion at the Ariaki Coliseum in Tokyo, Japan. And he would then go on to be essentially the top gaijin, I suppose, of rings until it made a switch in 1995-96 to go down the shoot, actual shoot fighting as opposed to the work shoot fighting that Maeda had essentially created and, and gradually evolved with through first the UWF founded in 1984, which we saw our other Five, our other match in this run, which was a, a five-star rated encounter between Kazuo Yamazaki According and to some people. Nobuhiko Takada. That was a short-lived run that saw them return to New Japan, the people involved in that promotion. But then they split from New Japan again, formed newborn UWF, but that also closed around 1990. And in 91, people started going down their own different paths. Uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara created Fujiwara Gym, where people like Minoru Suzuki went to. That Minoru Suzuki would actually shoot off from that to create Pancrase in 1993. Nobuhiko Takada created UWFI, Union of Wrestling Force International, I believe it was called, which is the most high-profile of the shoot-style promotions. And Maeda formed the Rings Fighting Network. And was their top star, which is so often the case with Japanese wrestling that the stars go off and form their own. It's a constant splintering of, uh, uh, it's a family tree of professional wrestling that all links back to Ricky Dozan. <laughs> Rings was the first one, although Pancrase would follow it from work shoot into shoot. It's still not 100% certain which of the Pancrase matches are shoots and which ones are works. Where does Pride stem from? Pride is some of the Nobuhiko Takada started up in late 99. Well, not just Takada, but Takada was part of it. So that was really the final part of it, that, that from Pancrase and UWFI and, and Rings came Pride, which was shoot, although again, a lot of people do say, I remember one of Chael Sonnen's better insults against Vandalay Silver was he thinks he actually won those fights in Japan. <laughs> and given the sudden fall from grace of a number of pride fighters when they moved over to the UFC, it's not impossible that he had a point. With Japan, it's always been about that bridging of what is and what isn't real. There's, I just was looking up through the, the Observer during this time, uh, 92 to 94, the Volcan was involved in wrestling. He had 30 matches in total that are considered works. 
Because the first match I was going to go for was a match he has with a guy called Kiyoshi Tamura, who essentially took over from Maeda as the top native talent in the promotion. But as far as cage match is concerned, anyway, that is listed as a shoot match that took place in 97. So I just instinctively went for his first match with Maeda, which they said was really a star-making turn, of which I can definitely understand watching this match. But I'm just looking up some of the notes that Meltzer said at the time as it was evolving. So these are his first notes, one of his first notes about Volcan that I included, and this is the follow-up match to this match, because this match ends with Maida winning, but then four months later, in April 1992, Rings drew, this is Meltzer now, Rings drew a sellout 5,480 in Hiroshima on April the 3rd, with the major upset main event as Volkan made Akira Maeda submit with the knee lock in 1728. So Maeda felt it was time to create a new star. I would say this match is well on the way to doing that. Because Volkan looks like the main threat for like the majority of this match. Yeah. A, he's cut, he is shredded. He is, but he's not built. He's not... He's, he's not, cut. He's lean cut, cut. But he's not. He's like realistic cut. Like yeah. you would think he would pass most medical testing. Yeah. And of course, Volkan as well, I think what's important for this and why I think he works so well and, and was so eye-catching was that he came from this tradition of Sambo wrestling, or Sambo, depending on how you pronounce it, from Russia, specifically from Dagestan. This is the style of fighting that Khabib Nurmagomedov... Uh was excelling in it's a russian born soviet born it started in the 1920s and if you watch it it's essentially a merging of amateur wrestling greco-roman wrestling judo and submission holds so it will start off on the mat and it looks more like they wear judo geese but they've got shorts on it's very explosive and quite spectacular the throws look pretty i mean admittedly i'm watching probably in my research, I'm probably being seen edited highlights of the most spectacular parts of it. But once it goes to the mat, it's a lot... Because there's the submission element, there's a lot more excitement to it, I think, than there is in judo and amateur wrestling when it goes to the ground. Yeah. There's work going on. And so often the, the finish is that classic that even the WWE do it now where you get them in the arm lock and you put... And, they're, and the opponent's clasping their hat. Like, everyone knows default, that's the... That's the defense on the armbar submission mm. hold. I mean, even Stephanie was doing it in a match with Ronda Rousey, and I was thinking that what the Ronda Rousey doesn't wouldn't look out of place in in sambo wrestling as well. I think judo allows that spectacular throw, so that brings in sort of the suplex elements that you see in this match. Essentially, when you're doing work shoot wrestling, it's kind of four things really: it's, it's mat grappling, it's strike exchanges of slaps for the most part. Although in this you get like headbutts to the chest. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what he's doing when he does that in the corner. My guess is you can't headbutt them on the head. So it's like, well, the chest is okay. Not really elbows, but there are kicks as well. Leg kicks. The strikes are clearly pulled in this. Knowing now what a strike really looks like. They're pulling their punches and they're pulling yeah. their kicks in this. But you've got to appreciate that in 1992 we don't yet know what a real mixed martial art fight looks like for the most part yeah i mean it's not mainstream by any stretch of the imagination mma yet like at this point it's valet tudo and it is literally a mixture of disciplines taking each other on so it is the sambo of volcan against martial arts combined with 
pro wrestling practices of Akira Maeda. Mm. I just want to like give some context. UFC 1 takes place two years after this match. And they took inspiration from things like that. And they brought in Ken Shamrock, who was a Pancrase fighter. And even if Pancrase was a work, it seemed like that gave him enough of a grounding that he was able to be a top star in early mixed martial arts. Because when Hoist Gracie takes Art Jimison, the boxer, down to the ground, Jimison literally doesn't know what d- d- happens and essentially starts hyperventilating and having a panic attack. <laughs> he just doesn't know what's going on. Even people who would know what to do, if a Gracie gets you to the ground, there's going to be some fear there. At this point... Shoot style wrestling is, like I said, it's a combination of strikes, kicks, slaps, for the most part. Stand-ups, judo throws, close clinch into suplexes. And then, essentially the equivalent of a standoff on the mat, instead of it's a standoff where you're trading slaps or you're trying to gauge it, is both guys grabbing hold of the other one's ankle and trying to do something. Yeah, we do. Doing the, it's a battle of heel hooks very often. Yeah, there's moments I'm like, well, who's... The one in the submission hold here. Well, it's essentially one will engage it, but the other one grabs it to... I guess the logic being that you can... You are at a standoff, and it's like, uh, if, if he gets me just here, and if he twists me the right way. And also, by doing that, you are being defensive, because the other person can't move their weight or, or yeah. whatever to get in the right place. I mean, that is what how, that is how it finishes eventually, that Maeda gets him in the right heel hook at the right time, and... and Volcan's counter is not enough and the tap is instantaneous. Yeah, it's kind of a flash finish-ish. Yeah. Because Volcan's sort of all over him. And then Maeda hits... Uh, is it a kick? Or It's like it's not his spin kick that he spectacularly misses, but it's like, it is a high kick. And then out of nowhere, the heel hook comes in. That is traditionally a lot of what happens in these work shoot matches, I think. When I was reading... Like I said, I was reading up on Dave Meltzer's thing... And he says a lot of them follow a particular formula, which is the the wrestler guy that the fans are, are often behind is put up against a striker, a karate guy. Like one of the guys that Volkan engages in, in later on is a guy called Willie Williams, who's a famous karate fighter from the 70s, American yeah. karate fighter. And the rules in rings, like all of these work shoot ones, always do some sort of deduction system or, or limitations to how many times you can go for the ropes or the effect of a That's why they were counting escapes. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. For instance, in UWFI, you start with 15 points each. And then for every time you grab the ropes, you'll lose a, a certain number of points. Every time you're suplexed, you lose a certain number of points. Every time you knock down with a strike, you lose a certain number of points. And so if you don't get beaten by submission or knockout, it'll be because all 15 of your points have been taken off and you're down to zero. Okay. Like Killer in pool, kind of. So that's the key, actually, though. Very early on, like you say, Maeda's such a high-profile figure and is seen as such a legit badass, like untouchable. And very early on, Volkan's touching him. Very early on, he rolls Maeda into an armbar and forces a rope break. And the crowd really responds. They're shocked at what they're seeing. They can't quite believe that he's being taken to school. Because obviously I came in with a different like perspective to the crowd. Because I obviously just went off for of physical attributes, not knowing too much about either person. And Volcan, if I was in a dark alleyway and Maeda's one side and Volcan's the other, I'm going Maeda's side. <laughs> not saying I could take him. You know, Volcan looks... Uh, yeah, he's taller, but 
because he's got that lean cut physique going on. You know those people that are just all muscle. But you wouldn't necessarily know. You don't know if they've got a shirt on, if they're skinny, or if there's actually What's something behind it. Yeah, yeah. That if you that if you punch them in the stomach, would that win them for the rest of the day, or would you get bruised knuckles? Exactly. Or would it just <laughs> bounce either off? Out, yeah. Either outcome's equally likely. And Maeda clearly has like a weight advantage as well, so it's another thing that surprises people that the theoretically lighter fighter is the one that's really taking to it and i was trying to think like what could it look like to someone with an outsider's perspective knowing what they knew about maida and what little they knew about volcan i was thinking imagine if you're like an eight-year-old super john cena fan that's all the wwe you ever really watched mm. from say 2008 or something to 2012 and then this guy brock lesnar turns up who you haven't heard of <laughs> but you know that he's come back yeah and then you watch the match that they have at extreme rules and you see John Cena just getting absolutely brutalized. It's not that one-sided. But I think that whatever shock that little kid would have had to see John Cena get beaten up in that fashion might be along the lines of what Maeda's going through in this match. But the thing is, at this point, this was a big deal, especially in Japan. Not just for rings, but a couple of years before in New Japan. The fall of the Iron Curtain was a big fucking deal. Yeah. Because essentially Sambo wrestlers and fighters in the Soviet Union would not travel outside of there. But now that it's down and they can do business, Inoki immediately was grabbing guys with amateur backgrounds and people that had never been able to make any money from their sporting attributes. But, you know, just look at Khabib and all the other guys coming from Dagestan. These guys are killers. Yeah. <laughs> and so in like 89-90, New Japan drew huge crowds to see their top stars go up against guys like Victor Zangief and Salman Hashimikov, who is one of the guys who won the IW. If you watch the IWGP Heavyweight Championship lineage, he's one of the first faces you see. I wonder if we'll see that anymore. So this was something that was a big deal in Japan. like Because in Japan, they're so aware of certain combat backgrounds. And a lot of what Rings was, was people from other countries coming in. And they would be essentially a stable amongst themselves. So Volkan comes with some Russian talent. They had some British talent. They had Dutch fighters coming in. And again, it was like that idea of what the UFC eventually becomes. If we take all the great combat styles and put them together, which one's going to be triumphant? And that's what Inoki had been doing throughout the 70s and 80s, you know, bringing in people like Leon Spinks to have wrestler versus fighter matches or judo fighters. There's that quote that does the rounds. It's like all these indie moves that you're seeing, like a 90-pound Japanese woman was doing in the 90s. And it's kind of the same here. Like all that stuff we're seeing in UFC, this this is the, very much the foreground of it. Your common complaint with the UWF match was that you've seen the real stuff now and the real stuff makes this look bad in comparison yeah is that what you feel about with this match as well because you seem more receptive or at least more willing to talk about it this way but we've been going more down the ufc element to which which is maybe something you're more interested in still yeah but if you'd seen this instead of seeing takada yamazaki first do you think this might made you more receptive to watch some more rings or work shoot wrestling yeah because i see the story in this match that they're trying to tell how do I word this precisely? Um, this one flows better. I think they tried almost too hard to make it look real in the other example, and that's why it was just jarring. Because some some fights aren't classics. 
let's face it, there's that famous example of, um, I can't remember the pay-per-view. Is it Anderson Silva? I think it is Anderson Silva. Employees, there's such a defensive tactic that Dana White gets the hump, gives the timekeeper the belt, and it's like, oh, I'm not going to present it to him after he retains. And like, he walks out of the main event. This, this has flow. This isn't jarring. This isn't like dull Mourinho style, like shoot fighting, if that makes sense. Maybe one of the issues for you was that they didn't show much personality and it was the lack of selling and it was mostly just strike exchanges, whereas this was going all over the place. Yeah. Maybe up in the air, then one would, then Maeda would hit a suplex or Volkan would surprise him with a leg takedown out of nowhere. Another phrase is styles make fights uh, and styles make matches. Before, they were both trying to do the same sort of thing. I mean, it was just... Yeah, they were both trained under the same discipline. Yeah. That's why MMA t- takes off, because it's like different things can happen. Like, we can mesh stuff. Yeah, this is Volcan taking the Sambo more judo and amateur wrestling style and incorporating it. And also, the key with Volcan and what made him popular was that he got this connection with the crowd and he plays it up just a little bit right towards the end. Where the story seems to be that whilst Volkan overwhelms Maida, Maida's able to weather the storm and Volkan starts to tire towards it. the end. But Maida goes for his trademark spin kick that's like his big move. And Volkan's able to duck it. And then Volkan literally beckons him on to bring it on. And that was another thing that's just like, just that little flash of personality and playing it up. And when he does submit, he's racked, his face is racked in pain and he kicks... Maida away in anger. Now, I'm wondering, is that shoot? Because maybe Maida took a couple of liberties there. Or is he actually selling well and showing that he's upset at the loss and that it matters to him? It's a little bit hard to say, but given how he engaged with the crowd, that would suggest that he did know what to do. He had some sort of innate showmanship within him. That's what takes elite real fighters to the next level is their connection with the crowd. Like, it, whether it be like little taunts like McGregor's arms behind the back or a great one that sticks in my head is I think it's Mario Lemieux against um, Billy Joe Saunders when he absolutely overswings and Billy Joe Saunders looks for the shot that he threw in the crowd. It's like a, a quick second, but it sticks with me, that one. Or Tyson Fury just being Tyson Fury against Deontay Wilder. We remember these people, and Floyd Mayweather, one of the greatest boxers ever to do it. His style didn't really, like, draw people in in terms of in-ring. So he builds this out-of-ring persona to sort of hide that fact and keep him at the top table and keep people wanting to watch him, calling out Mexican fighters on Cinco de Mayo. He was a pro-wrestling heel in the world of boxing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, they they take so much of it from wrestling. Yeah, Ali modelled himself on Gorgeous George and Freddie Blassie. So Dave Meltzer took a trip to Japan in 92 and he's writing up about it. And one of the things that he wrote up were people that you may not have heard of but probably should remember. The first two names he said were Satoshi Kojima and Hiroshi Yamamoto, who would go on to become Hiroshi Tenzan. Because this would have been back when they were young lions saying the New Japan opening tag team, five years from now, they'll be Masachonos and Kijimutos. They never quite reached that, but they were still greats of their, their generation. But we can get into the third generation of New Japan another time. Then he talks about the Headhunters, which those huge identical twins that could do moonsaults and very strange 
Then the great Sasuke, your favourite wrestler. <laughs> Dorts up a bit of Lightning Kid and Jerry Lynn, who were in Japan at the time. But this one is... And last, a Soviet wrestler named Volkan, who works for Rings, and according to fan balloting in Weekly Pro Wrestling, is currently the third most popular foreign wrestler in Japan, training only Stan Hansen and Gary Albright. Jeez. Gary Albright at the time being the top guy, Jin star of UWFI. And this is within nine months of him debuting as a nobody. Han, a legitimate champion in Soviet commando sambo wrestling, real submission style wrestling, was put over Akira Maeda two months back and will surely draw a huge house for his return match with him down the road. Han has no chest, rather thin arms, and in fact no physique at all, maybe 6'3", 220, and obviously has almost no working experience. Yet he is so convincing with his submissions and has an uncanny sense of drama and timing that seem impossible for someone with just four or five matches under their belt to have. This is from um, the next show, which was him talking about the, the match he was watching. Next up was Soviet Army Sambo Wrestling Champion Volkan of Grazia, the new superstar of this promotion, against Dick Fry, a bodybuilder kickboxer from Holland who is the only member of this group who has the potential to make it big in American wrestling. Fry looks like a cross between Sting and Dolph Lundgren, both in size, and actually has a better physique than either. <laughs> he comes across as a tough, dangerous, in perfect condition, but stoic and strategic fighting roid monster at 6'3", 250. This match had super heat as they went back and forth between Han getting submission holds on Fry, Fry making the ropes, and Fry using punches and kicks for knockdowns, but Han recovering just before the 10 count each time. It was actually super dramatic live. After Han had been knocked down four times... And the limit is five. If you get knocked down five times, then it's the match is over. Yeah. He got an ankle submission hold on in the middle, and Fry gave up at 10.35. Given what the expectations are of the crowd and limitations based on realism, although how real it is, one could, would argue, to have people come back from being knocked down four times to win, this was an excellent match and stole the show. Then three months down the line, at the end of 1992, he's talking about potential candidates for Rookie of the Year. The four other names he mentions in this are Psychosis, Rey Mysterio Jr., and Jun Akiyama. Is, and his pick for second, he put Rey Mysterio third, he put Psychosis first, and he says if Jun Akiyama doesn't win next year, then someone's gone really wrong. But he says, Volkan is second because it's just amazing someone with so little experience could work so effectively in such a difficult style to master. He really has nowhere to go from where he already is, but it's a shame because I've never seen anyone take to that style so efficiently. So his recommendations came in and he only polled fourth in Rookie of the Year, not like Meltzer's second. Now, admittedly, the guy that they put in as fifth was Eric Watts, which is not the best of signs. But then when you look at who were third, second, and first, it's a pretty damn good list to be under them. Third was Diamond Dallas Page. Second is Psychosis, and first is Rey Mysterio Jr. And he also got fifth in Best Foreign Wrestler, ranking ahead of guys like Ken Shamrock and Scott Norton and Johnny Ace. He said, nice to see Volkan get to the top five. He more than held his end in the Mega Battle tourney with Akira Maeda. Rings deserve to finish in the top five for best promotion. So in his mind, he definitely certainly belongs. Yeah, and you can tell Maeda loved him. Like, right after the match, he goes up to him and raises his arm in victory. You can tell in that moment, Maeda's gone, 
Now, here's someone I can work with, because, you know, like I said, he gives him a rematch and loses to him, which is a big deal. They end up having five matches, and Maeda won three, and he won two, and he won the last one of the five that they had in their equivalent of the big, their, their big event for the year, which is the Mega Battle Tournament. He won the final against Maeda, and they were the top two seeds. Ah, okay. So if they'd have continued to go down the work path, it looks like Volkan would have stayed a top name there. I think Maeda really made him look good. Like, he sold for him. Again, not as much, but it's almost reminiscent of how, um, oh, God, who was it that Brock Lesnar fought in the UFC? Frank Mir. When he was getting utterly destroyed by Lesnar, but caught him with a heel hook. That that was what won it for him, and that was sort of what won it for Maeda in this match. But like I said, it was also, the story they were telling was that Volkan was getting exhausted towards the end. He would like, mm. go down and put his hands on his knees. How much is that is exhaustion? How much is that the Volkan doesn't really know what to do now? Yeah. Like, he's run out of ideas. Because, like I said, it's his first match. And I'm guessing you don't yeah. choreograph this one that much. You don't have that many called spots. It's the best example of this style of wrestling I've seen. It's not my favourite style of wrestling. And it's probably never going to be my favourite style of wrestling. But this was, in my opinion, a lot more palatable than the other stuff I've seen. I also think with these sort of matches, you can't go that long. Yeah. I think 20 yeah. minutes is as far as you should ever really go. Because if you're going to be realistic, there's only so many times you can have the submission holds on. Again, I'll just look at his matches, see if there are any that went over 20 minutes. 14, 15, 6, 3, 10, 11, 6, 18, 9, 8, third round 1, 10, 12, 11. Yeah, he never went over 20 minutes with any of his matches. Oh, no, he did He did once, sorry. Went 23-27 with Maeda. Well, so does that happen to be his last one? No, no, this was essentially what would have been the rubber match at that point with him and Maeda. Ah. So they were one each, and it was the Mega Battle Tournament as well, and it was the first round, so they maybe wanted to go epic for that. Get eyes on the product. I do wish we could see... I guess what you get now is blood sports, and that plays up more the striking element, I think, than than anything else. Yeah. It's fun to watch. And, and again, like with those, they don't go very long, those matches. I think people are... And they, and they literally get rid of the ropes. They don't even have the ropes because... We sort of saw, like, a very, very disney version in, like, Raw Underground, whatever the hell that was. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you could say that too. But that, was, that wasn't Disney-fied, that was movie-fied. That was, like... A Jean-Claude Van Damme film from the early 90s. Mm. Well, no, because those fights would last longer than, like, a minute. I didn't mind Raw Underground. At least it was somewhat different. But they just didn't know where to take it. And Yeah, they they put a thing in, and then they just never grew it. Same with Retribution. Many things. But take, talk about taking someone immediately and making them the star. Like I said, he would, for a while, Maeda was out, and Volkan would be the main event guy for a lot of their shows and would draw crowds of four, five, six thousand. Yeah, I think there's been arguments to put him in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame for his own contributions to this particular subgenre of wrestling. He's certainly captivating. I was immediately drawn to him. Like the first time the camera was on him, like some people that are just some wrestlers, you just go, "Oh, okay, look yeah. at him." I think it's because someone who looks like him, you don't see that much. Yeah, a bit like you were saying about Shibata in a way, the sort of the accountant that can kill you. <laughs> I would never, ever say that to the man's face, but yes. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we might do some more Volcan in the future. I was thinking one idea for a show we could do, maybe every quarter, is instead of a match of the week, like wrestler of the quarter, and we pick a particular wrestler and do five matches and just talk about all five of those matches. 
So that might be oh, where I can get all my Bret Hart energy out in just one <laughs> fell swoop. Okay. And so maybe picking five Volcan matches could be a fun one to go with as well. I don't know. Maybe save that for 2022. But if you want to get in touch with us with ideas for other wrestlers, we could maybe do those for. Give us a good name. I think as soon as I come up with a name for a thing is when I really want to go with it. Uh, but if they want to get in touch with you with some show name ideas for that, hey. uh, as well as some names, how can they do so, Simon? And they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of times before I sat down and watched this match, I was like, oh, go on then. My name is Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for accountancy, N for notary. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Let's Box. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. And if you feel like throwing a few pennies our way so that we don't kick you into oblivion and twist <laughs> your ankle into awkward angles, then go on patreon.com slash lmtyspod. And also, if you are more inclined to just leave your opinion leave us a review on apple podcasts what are we doing next week si as you get your pick <laughs> what have you gone for i've i've kind of done a cheeky twofer here because i actually was in the crowd for this match we just did the live ones yeah but it wasn't my favorite ever live match we are going to what culture pro wrestling's delete wcpw where we are watching johnny mundo otherwise known as John Morrison, take on young upcomer Gabriel Kidd. All 19 years old of him. But there's nothing left to say at this point until then, other than my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week. Until the next week.